Welcome to Independent Truths with Scott Atlas, brought to you by the Independent Institute. My show that tries to bring a uniquely rational perspective to many of the important issues facing society today. Today's guest is Richard Corcoran, the president of New College of Florida, public institution among Florida's higher educational colleges and representing Florida's Honors College. Richard graduated from St. Leo College and Regent University where he received his JD in 1996. He has served in the U.S. Naval Reserve for six years, worked for 24 years as a practicing attorney, served four terms as an elected official in Florida State Legislature, serving as Florida Speaker of the House in 2016 to 18. In December of 2018, he was appointed Education Commissioner under Governor Ron DeSantis, where he and the governor led Florida to safely reopening their schools all across the state in the fall of 2020. In February 2023, Richard accepted the role of interim president at New College and has now been confirmed by the Board of Trustees as the ninth president to lead New College of Florida into becoming his vision of the highest quality of classical liberal education. President Corcoran and I have a very important and especially timely conversation about the state of university education in the United States and the campus environment uh, to develop the next generation of leaders for our country. Thanks for joining us and stay tuned. Richard, welcome. Thanks. I'm honored to be on the show, Scott. I'm very happy you could uh, squeeze us into your very hectic schedule. Uh, let's just dive right in. Universities are, as you know, on the front page all across our country these days. And perhaps it's after being too passive, uh, assuming that our children were being educated uh, the way most parents would want and educated as if it were isolated from uh, any consequences and from what's going on really in the country. And I think, you know, as you know, the country is becoming more and more aware that uh, an entire generation of young people uh, have been influenced greatly, not just by their parents, but by those educating them. So um, you're the new president of the New College of Florida, uh, so maybe you can uh, tell our, our listeners what the New College of Florida is and what, and what your, your vision is there. Yeah, you've said a, uh, a lot there, Scott. I, I'm going to answer it and interrupt me if I go too long, but I, I do want to say in three parts. Uh, the first part is it's not just in higher ed. We've lost, as the former commissioner of education for the entire state of Florida, uh, we've lost that battle in the K-12 space too. And so at the point that they graduate and they do go on to college, you're generally dealing with somebody that has, for the most part, uh, been given one side of an equation, which is ne never healthy. And then on top of that, they get into college and they're almost, um, now they're in like a boot camp. Uh, you know, you know, we've, we've got you some, somewhat trained, but now we're going to teach you how to be a, you know, a, a, a SEAL Team 6 on this, this one ideology. And so you have to change that and you have to fight it at all fronts. You have to fight it in kindergarten and you have to fight it in, in the higher ed space. What we're also saying, the second point I would say to that is higher ed's dead. I mean, people don't, especially the liberal arts, we're a small liberal arts college. If you look at the small liberal arts colleges prior to COVID, I think a hundred and something closed. 
after COVID, 93, I think we're at 93 have closed since COVID. Um, it's a dying breed. And, and, and the reality is what's driven a lot of that is two things, money and cost and the ideology. And those are what have literally uh, precipitated this, you know, for those that are open, the, the travesties that you see occurring on campuses and for those that have closed, why they closed. Um, the cost of education has skyrocketed. Um, we are telling kids to go out there, take out these massive student loans because you're going to get an education. You get an education at a very one-sided ideological school, and it's it's not leading to employable skills. It's not even leading to the purpose of education. And, the you know, I always say you hear it, well, I don't care if it's Republicans or Democrats, you know, education should lead you to a great job. And that's just so shallow. That's that That's a byproduct of a great education. Education should lead you to becoming a great citizen, a great community leader, a great spouse. Um, uh, wrestle with those great questions of time. And if, and if that person is humble and willing to work hard, they're always going to be employed. But the problem is we've, you know, forced upon these kids massive costs, massive debt, and then given them a degree that is, in many times is not worth uh, the paper it's written on. And certainly we've given them only one side of the equation, an ideological footprint that's not leading to being a great citizen, a great spouse, and a great community leader. So you have to, the third point, reform all of it from the ground up. And that's yeah, that's what we're trying to do at New College. So New College uh, is is billed as Florida's honors college, um, and I think it's safe to say that it has not been at the top. Although there have been some significant positives about about your college, what what are you what are you trying to do there? And maybe you could say to the viewers or the listeners what. What are you trying to do with this so-called classical liberal model of education and what was New College versus what your view of what it is going to be under your guidance? Yeah, so New College has historically been the state's honors college and uh, produced more PhDs than the other institutions on a per capita basis, more Fulbrights than our other SUS institutions combined, another 11 institutions. But what happened is, you know, with that dy dynamic I was talking about with this one-sided ideology, what happened at New College, and it's happening at colleges across the country, is we got to the point when I got here, you know, let's say March 1st, uh, where 70 to 75% of our student population was female. Um, of that student population, of the 100% of the student population, probably, um, this, is, this is Princeton Review. These are um, uh, student reviews, student writings. Um, probably 70 uh, plus percent uh, LGBTQ. Um, and so you came here and the number one, we lead the SUS institutions, state university systems institutions, and kids who come for a semester or come for a year and leave. And that's a metric mm -hmm. you get graded on. And then we ask them in exit interviews, why are you leaving? And we definitely could, you know, use a spruced up campus it's, and we're doing that. But the number top five reasons, Scott, why these kids are leaving is somewhere along the line, um, I identify as a liberal. It's a very liberal student body. I identify as a liberal and I was canceled. I wasn't liberal enough or the right kind of liberal or the or wasn't um, zealous enough on an issue of, of its moment in time. So I got canceled. I got bullied. That's the some variation of those top five reasons is why, ki why kids are leaving. That's how ideologically aligned the student body was with one kind of ideology, even physical threats. You know, you, had, you might have a an incident of a, a transgender student threatening somebody who might be a gay student, but they're not gay enough or they're not, mm. you know, they're, 
it, it, it was, it was, this is all documented. It's, it's not stuff that we're saying off the cuff. Um, and so what we're trying to do is the school was founded um, by congregationists and it was literally in their founding documents. We want this to be a classical liberal arts school. Um, and so we're just trying to go back to that founding. But you would think that we've come in and we've stormed the beach and we're, we're holding everyone hostage and it's a hostile takeover. It's not the case. We're trying to go back to those roots. And so we're redoing the core curriculum. We're bringing in additional faculty from around the country. Uh, we've gone out and recruited students. We've added sports uh, just this year. And this is how small we are. We got down to about 600 students. This year, we recruited the largest class in the 63-year history, over 300 students in an entering class, 323. They never even got close to 290. Um, but you, we did it by going out there and saying, we're going to be, um, if you think we're going to swap out some ideological belief over here on the left, and we're going to swap it out for something over here on the right, there's, again, that's no better than, than where we started. What we want is to have people in all walks of life and all ideologies, um, which competing and, and having those um, ideological debates and letting our students figure out wh where they want to take themselves in that, in that discourse. And it's always going to be civil. So we're re yes. reconstructing the entire curriculum around that concept. I mean, I think this is the, the key that's really, in my view, and I, I work at Stanford University, but I, I speak on many campuses as well. I think that the key mission of education at this level is to teach critical thinking you cannot teach critical thinking if you didn't hear disparate views. I mean, it's literally impossible. Uh, and the second part is that the colleges and university environments in, the, in America are the centers for the free exchange of ideas. And uh, that has been the biggest failure, I think, of our time, that we have failed our younger generation. We, the, the adults uh, and the professoriate, have not insisted on that. In fact, the professors on most campuses, as as you know, uh, have done quite the opposite. And so <clears throat> I think what you're doing here is exactly what needs to be done. We need to reinstill this exchange of ideas. And you said something very important also, which is civil discourse, because I think uh, not only is that missing, but but our college professors themselves have been models to students that have been very harmful because they have not shown civil discourse. They have done quite the opposite. And, uh, you know, I think we both experienced that personally. So uh, when you're when you're stating this vision, it, it's somehow been distorted, uh, as all the things I've read, uh, into that you're somehow trying to shove in some kind of a right-wing or conservative ideology, uh, which is the opposite of what you just said. But how is it being... Uh, received uh you mentioned that you're you're getting a lot of new student applicants what tell me about the incoming student pool the enthusiasm from parents from students and then we'll also talk after that about the uh, reception from the professors and how the recruiting is going the recession's been very strong and, and the recruiting's uh it, it's it, it you know, I hate to say that phrase, you know, any publicity, even if it's bad publicity is good publicity, but in a way it's true. People are hearing it. Um, and if whatever walk of life you're coming from, it even happens with the professors. You'll have professors. We've had them from Ivy leagues, uh, Stanford's great schools reach out to us, the Berkeley's and say, Hey, you know, I want, if this is true and you're really going to build this kind of an environment, uh, I'd be interested in applying because, you know, I'm afraid to do X, Y, and Z on this campus because of the cancel culture that exists. And so we're getting tremendous applicants from all walks of life. And, and I think that the, 
adding the sports, we went from that 70 to 75% female to male to, you know, basically 50, 50. Um, we've got, we've added a whole new, um, massive influx of the class. So really almost half the kids here are new kids and then half the kids are, are, are returning kids. Um, and you're seeing that merger, uh, I would say work very, very well. I think, uh, we're encouraged by it in its entirety. I mean, it's it's a process. Nothing is happening overnight, yeah. but it sounds like you've made dramatic changes already. Um, what are those? Could you tell us some specific uh, new maybe student activities in addition to sports? I mean, are you fostering new student newspapers, debates, invited speakers? Uh, tell me some of the new initiatives that you're thinking about. Yeah, we're launching uh, and we're trying to get some great folks. Uh, we, I can't say them yet, Scott, but we've announced, we have, sure. uh, but we, we've started basically our own monk debates. Um, we're going to bring in a couple people from both sides uh, and argue great topics. Yeah, you know, one of the big things that was going on in Florida was, you know, are our um, standards, uh, African-American standards, are they, are they, you know, racist, bigoted, or are they great? You know, and it, and we have this national news about our standards over one sentence and 231 pages. Um, so we're getting leaders in the, um, in the academic world and, and the African-American community to come in and ha let's have that debate, oh, you know, about our Florida standards. Um, let's have the debate about, um, you know, economic policy or, or uh, everything from that to colonialism. Uh, you know, wh where is it and where does it stand? And getting these folks in. And to your point, it didn't take long for us to go out there and reach out to the community and find someone who was saying, if that's what you're going to do, if you're going to expose kids in the community to these great debates and they're going to be civil, and you're going to have, you know, great names on either side. I'll, I'll fund the whole thing. Uh, and so uh, that's we'll, excellent. Yeah, we'll start launching that here in the next 30 days. Tell me about um, your uh, what received a lot of attention was eliminating uh, and speaking out against these diversity, equity, inclusion departments and officers. And of course, this is a, you know, a very controversial area, but uh Tell me how you're addressing that and what, what you did and what you're doing uh, to not just eliminate the uh, the harmful part of it, but also to ensure that, uh, you know, there is uh, sort of diversity and in, in, in my view, diversity of thought, which, of course, is the true diversity that we need. Well, a lot's happened in Florida under Governor DeSantis' leadership, and I don't mean to bring a, a political percent, but it's significant. And... So just on that, we had a diversity, equity, inclusion office, as most universities in the last, you know, four to 10 years are adding them. Uh, we immediately eliminated the diversity, equity and, and inclusion office. And uh, in this year of recruitment, whether it's faculty, whether it's our students, um, we've seen more diversity, more equity and more inclusion. Um, our our African-American numbers are up 300 percent in enrollment. Our Hispanic numbers are up almost 100 percent in enrollment. Our, our gender um equity is at pretty much 50 50 uh in this new enrollment without that office um and and that's fascinating yeah and there's so much been written about it but i mean they're two they're all I, I love all three you know terms i love diversity i love equity i love inclusion i don't like what has become or no one should what has become diversity equity and inclusion because it's not those three terms in their in their traditional interpretation um so and then on the on the faculty front we recruited probably read all we lost you know 40 percent of our faculty um, not altogether untrue, um, but it wasn't because of the changes. A lot of them were retiring. A lot of them were going on sabbatical, what have you. Um, but we, what they don't talk about is we had no problems in a short window backfilling those faculty 
with who's who from colleges and universities from around the country. Now we have a whole year to recruit those faculty. So we'll probably see another 40 faculty come in with the growth in the school um, that creates a tremendous growth. We, the, the, the economics department on their own with, with a recommendation hired the first Austrian economists onto the campus. Um, and it wasn't even a fight. I mean, I think just like with the student body, just like with the faculty, I think there's always a handful um, that try to cancel and bully um, the rest. And uh, what's the old quote, you know, academia fights are so severe because the stakes are so low. Um, right. You know, and so I think- It was the, a Moynihan statement, I yeah, think. Right? Yeah, and so yes. um, I think, but once those people start finding the doors, which they uh, most of them have, um, it allowed even the faculty that were here and existing to flourish and, and, and thrive and now be a part of a part of something that they wanted to be a part of all all the entire time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, as you know, you invited me to speak at the uh, commencement, uh, and it was a it was a, let's say it was a little bit contentious. Uh, my my talk was supposed to be about restoring civil discourse, and that was uh, ironic because they tried to drown it out. But uh, I, I sort of am sympathetic to students who. Uh, have been reading a lot about upheaval, have uh, sort of shocked when there's an abrupt change in their existing school. I didn't I didn't uh, really mind that. It wasn't unexpected. But I would like to ask how the current students who didn't graduate yet are, are doing with this change, because, of course, they enrolled in a place that's different uh, from what, what this is becoming. But my guess is that many of them... Uh, will respond positively, but uh, just as a curiosity, how are they acting with this? Yeah, I've actually used uh, your commencement speech as an example of that. And I would say that, it, you know, it for great quality education, for having that education that changes a person's life, their trajectory, their outlook on, on why they exist, what is justice, all those great things um, that every single human being should be afforded. Um, it's, you know, like Frederick Douglass always says, it's a crime against humanity to rob someone of that kind of world-class education. And so um, I think all of the students that we have recognize that's the value that we're trying to instill in all of our students is this world-class education. Um, come from it as you wish, but we're going to give you this complete spectrum of, of thought that's that's uh, traversed time for generations. And, and I think that the students are responding well to it. And the, the example I would use, you know, you, you see what's happened with these Hamas-supported uprisings on campuses across the country. Um, we have 12 universe, public universities uh, in our system. We're one of them. We're the smallest. Uh, many historically would say by far the most liberal uh, historically up until these, you know, the, these transitions. And uh, we didn't have a single incident on our entire campus where a lot of the other state university systems had numerous incidents juxtapose that Scott against you know your graduation you know four or five months earlier where it was uh to say the last uh, I remember sitting there in my head while you were speaking saying I sure hope uh that in the next year this never happens again it was a a disgraceful um display of how not to do civil discourse um and but yeah I mean I, I honestly I have to say thinking on that you know, I, I, I say I wasn't shocked at the students and they don't really, they've been, they had been reading the criticism of everything and they thought that this was some kind of a political upheaval. What was the disgrace in my view were, was the behavior of the parents, frankly. I, I was shocked 
speechless at some level to see parents, people in their 50s and 60s, standing on chairs, swearing and shouting vulgarities uh, at an invited speaker. I mean, talk about modeling bad behavior. So, uh, you know, that was sort of a low, I think, in, in what, what human beings... Uh, who are supposed to be civil can show their children. I I, I really thought that was uh, honestly inex, inexcusable, but that's the fault of the parents. And so when you see, when you have that kind of parent, it's not trivial for a student to uh, reject that. And I think that's, that's a challenge uh, because as we know, values really are instilled from home, uh, but the colleges and the, the professors really are in such a, a position of authority and respect that they're very influential. And so I think uh, the, the, the seriousness of the, of the role of a professor is so high that uh, we have to be uh, very thoughtful about who is hired. So it's, it's, uh, it's great to have somebody who wants to change things to allow civil discourse like like you're doing, and I applaud you. And uh, it, it's a challenge because it's everything has become so politically polarized in our country. You would think freedom of speech is not a political issue. Right. You would think civil discourse is not a political issue. Uh, but these things have uh, become lost among the divisive issues of our day. You know, you brought up the Israel and Hamas uh terrorism issue. And I think this is one of the most disconcerting, in fact, frightening things we're seeing on campus where uh, somehow we apparently have taught younger generation college students that uh, terrorism killing people or innocent civilians is not only acceptable, but sort of laudable. Uh, I just think... uh, this is frightening. I, I don't know. Are you getting uh, student leaders to come up uh, on campus and start talking about, and have you thought about having like special uh, sort of discussions about this specific issue? Yeah, we've talked about having um, one of the our monk debates um, get into just the whole Arab-Israeli de- uh, dilemma over, you know, the history of its existence. But I think that um, I... I I like your point. I think, and they're and they're. I think they're interchangeable. You know, your your displeasure or the shock with the parents' behavior. I think what what's really at play here, whether it's it's the adults in the room, it's the adults in the room, whether it's in faculty, it's the adults in the room and the activist organizations that are out there and exist, and it's the adults in the room in the in the in the media. You know, so whether it's um, whether it's New College and what you read about New College, I I would say of all the, I try not to read it because it's just so untrue. But when you read the articles, the litany of articles that have been written, probably 90% of what I've read in an article is, is just not even accurate or true. I mean, blatantly not accurate. Like we're, we're kicking <laughs> out returning students for sports students. Just not true. You know, that we're kicking kids into hotels because we're, you know, favoring the new students. Just not, just none of it true. I mean, verifiably not true. Um, but they have- Yeah, this was one of the things that shocked me when I was in... Uh- you know, uh, became a public figure uh, un- unintentionally was that the, the news wasn't just biased. The journalism, the reporting wasn't just biased like we all thought it was. They literally make up things. Yes. And once things are printed, particularly in what are deemed recu- reputable organizations, they become fact 
were accepted as fact. Yes. And this is shocking, uh, which again, I, I think one of the things I would like to to plant in your mind as a suggestion, I think we've undervalued the role of the media. And what I mean by that is the media is even more influential than I ever thought. And that means we need to fix it. And we need to fix it. Partly uh, the solution is to get young people who are sharp and understand the ethical role of journalism, we need to get them into the field. Because I feel like uh, this is really one of the most poisonous parts of American society. Because on, you know, as we know, I don't even have to say it, but the media is where people get their information. Yeah. This is obvious. And people don't have time to go to source documents and investigate. They read it. They presume that it's mainly true, if not totally true. And they go with it. And I, I think this is where young people, we, we, you know, part of my talk at New College was we need the younger generation to fix us because our generation has failed or we wouldn't be in this in this situation we, we are in uh, as, a, as a general statement. We need young people to go into some of these fields that we never thought were as important. And I think journalism and the media is, is a big one. Yeah. And, and I think they're not, it's not lost that a they're historically and currently and and for decades been uh, strongly overrun by elite liberals who think they have all the answers to the world and when you have situations like new college uh, where it's a public institution that's being uh, you know moved to a balanced um, school where you have you know thoughts from all walks of life being the students being exposed to um, and if it happens at New College, if it can happen at a public institution, and we're not private, we're not some of these schools that are conservative and private, but if you can have a school that's literally ideolog ide ideologically saying we're going to have people from all sides have these debate uh, and we're going to let the kids figure out what, what, what it is that they want to believe, um, that's a threat to their entire existence. Uh, it's not lost on me. I joke with the administration here and our, our trustees. Um, for the lack of a better term, but I said, we're clearly over the target. Nobody shoots at you this much unless you're right over the target. And that target is showing people how you can do higher education right, how you can do it um, in a way that produces great citizens that create another great 230 years in American society. Um, but you can't have that when you're literally, to your, to your point, Scott, and my point is you're lying. And then to your point, those lies get picked up. I don't know how many times somebody will write a lie and then I'll read it in five more articles. It's been written that, you know, Corcoran said or did this. Um, and they, they just perpetuate it and perpetuate it. Um, but the, the reality is, I think my reading of history is um, with, with good people who are willing to stand up and fight and take the slings and arrows, which you've done your, your whole career, um, truth will prevail. And, and the truth is, the truth is, you know, it's a it's a phrase, but the truth is beautiful. The truth does lead to a life, a society, an existence um, that is wonderful. Um, certainly, the best. And and so, to your point, we just got to keep fighting. And if we give these students that right upbringing, and we really got to continue, as Governor DeSantis has done, going back into the early grades and ensuring that it doesn't happen then. So you're not getting students that you have to detox before you can just quite frankly educate them. Right. I mean, the the installation of of ethics and moral uh, a moral compass uh, is is more the role uh, of education than I ever understood, because I came from a family 
where that was done at home. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we know what happens. We've seen it. It's, it's been somewhat, uh, I would say it's poisonous what's happened on campuses and in, in schools in the past several decades. You know, there's one other point I want to ask about. Um, and it, it remi- it's reminding me of what Heather McDonald has written about, uh, she said, quote, the foolish pursuit of undermining meritocracy in favor of equal outcomes is sacrificing excellence, destroying beauty, and threatening lives. And I think this is very important. We've lost a focus on merit. Uh, and I'd like to know uh, what your thoughts are on that and uh, how you see uh, new colleges as not just talking about values, but also of of the importance of achievement. Yeah, and I want to start answering that question, Scott, by giving a, um, to Heather's point, I say to my kids sometimes, if, if you, I see you and you're about to walk off a 500-foot cliff into a ravine and I come out of nowhere and I blindside tackle you down to the ground, I break your ankle, I break three ribs, was I cruel or was I merciful? And and I, I'm saying that as a backdrop to a meritocracy. Is it cruel or is it merciful? Um, you know, my kids don't have much musical talent probably because of me. Am I being cruel or am I being merciful when I say to them, you know, I think you have these talents and these gifts and, and what have you. And I think if you pursue those, um, it's going to be more rewarding life for you than if you go down this path of trying to, you know, be a drummer or whatever it might be when, when you, you have your dad's uh, musical ear where I can't even, you know, I'm tone deaf. Um, so I, you know, but that's what I think a meritocracy, when you have a meritocracy, I, my point being is I think it's a more merciful system, a more generous system, a more um, uh, looking out for that other individual system. If it's done right, I, to Heather's point, you end up without that. It's the same with the marketplace. You end up when you don't have that competitive instinct or the meritocracy of you're a better store, a better car, a better product. Um, you end up with uh, less um, beneficial outcomes, more um, uh, tragic events, all of those things across the board, depending on well, whatever that marketplace is. And so what- I also think, you know, part of, part of this uh, me- d- getting rid of the idea of merit is really undermining work ethic. And I think this is very important, particularly, uh, you know, that, that's the way I was raised. And it's not just me. It's, it's, it's I think most people uh, understand that a lot of your success comes from effort. Okay. Not, not everybody is born to some kind of a, a, a genius. I'm not sure how much different people are at birth. There's differences clearly. But we know that work hard and you achieve, and that's the whole point of equal opportunity in the United States. Uh, and I think that all of us uh, who've had any kind of success have been, you know, 95% of it is just working super, super hard. And, you know, I think we can't, you can't have a, you can't have a society that doesn't value or teach effort. We will never have the achievements that we have all benefited from if we undermine that. Yeah. No, it's the Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. It's a game changer. Um, Absolutely. So, well, you know, I, I don't want to uh, take too much of your time out of your busy day. Your hands are full there. I think uh, I'm not the only one. I think everybody is really watching uh, with a keen eye on you and your efforts uh, at New College of Florida. 
uh, and and I think uh, we're we're all optimistic. We're hoping that this is uh, sort of a, a a seed of a direction of higher education where we restore uh, a lot of the the basic fundamental points of college education that led to what how great the country is and and actually the greatness of our universities. These are fundamental principles. As we watch some of these so-called elite schools decline, it's because they have abandoned these fundamentals that you are uh, trying to uh, reinstate. So uh, with that, if, uh, if I can just say thank you, Richard Corcoran, great luck, all the best in your, your appointment as president of New College of Florida, and uh, cheers. Yeah, thanks a lot, Scott. Honored to be on your show. Thank you for listening to Independent Truths with Scott Atlas. If you want to check out more about today's guest, Professor Richard Corcoran, check out his page at the New College of Florida website. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to this show on YouTube as well as on Spotify, Apple, Google, and anywhere else you're listening to podcasts right now. And I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.